He interestingly, now I don't know what this meant, but just for viewers or listeners of the pod, he said, we're from Kentucky, right? I said, yeah. He goes, flyover country. And I said, "Mm, does Bill Nye, the science guy, listen to this podcast? Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Welcome to Flyover Country. I am your panelist host, Joe Arnold. My voice, Kevin Grout. Let's, let's hear your voice. Hello. Sean Southern, your voice. Hello. Welcome we, back. We have to identify Sean. all this. Jared Crawford. Joe. It's good, good to see all of you. Oh, hey, Scott. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> good to see I, you, too. By the way, I have to yeah. point out to our listeners, yes. you, you today are literally an internet meme come to life <laughs> because you are wearing yes. an NFL on CBS hat. It reminds me of the Rob Lowe I'm hat a big fan of Rob Lowe. Where he's just wearing the NFL just logo. That's right. That's what you're doing right now. In you're the middle literally of, of a March. live meme. You're a live I meme. Think. And of course, it's great timing as the NCAA tournament is starting and I'm wearing an NFL, <laughs> NFL hat. hat. I have no sense of bearings right now. Hey, speaking of bearings, you are, you've been on the run a yeah. lot again. And we were all excited to, um, to hear about and haven't we had a chance to see you in person since... Your big gridiron club debut, your first time at the this this venerable institution, like 130 years old in, in D.C., right? The Dates back journalists. to like uh, 1885. It's the oldest media organization in Washington. I was fortunate enough to be invited this year for the first time. It's a, it's a crazy scene. It's about 650 people, mostly journalists and people from media outlets and the... You know, some famous people in Washington, you know, that you've seen on, on television or seen in the news... And they gather uh, in a hotel ballroom, and it's it's weird. It's open press, meaning what's said there can be reported, but there's no video. And the program consists of this. The head of the gridiron, a journalist, makes a, something called the speech in the dark, which is literally a speech made in the dark. So that starts. And <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You mean like all the lights are down? Yes. And and, and the only thing this in the room... The only thing in the room is like a... Right. It's, yeah. it's like there's a light on the podium so he can see. But other than that, it's dark. And there's a huge... Um, image of a of a grid of a griddle like a like a spatula behind him. And everyone's just in like t-shirt and shorts, right? No. We're all wearing white tie and tails. Now if you've never worn white tie and tails, which I had not, I learned all about it. You've got a special suit. The tie's white, the vest, uh the 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 tails. This is not black tie. This is not a morning coat. This is tail, full blown <sighs> tails. Isn't the shirt made of some ma- yes. material? Of- the shirt the tie and the vest are all made of, I think it's pronounced P-K, P-I-Q-U-E. And it's kind of this like clothy, uh, it's got a bit of a texture to it. I liked it, truthfully. Did you rob a bank in Gotham after or what? I did, I did. <laughs> I have uh, uh, I did not have a hat uh, or a cane or a monocle, but I was. <laughs> in so, my... I mean, were you really even fully dressed? No, not really. I was, might as well have been nude. <laughs> uh, but, but every male, it, and it's strictly enforced. If you don't wear the appropriate thing, they don't let you in. And so anyway, I show up in my getup, and all the women are wearing beautiful ball gowns. So it's extremely formal. But it's about 650 people at the Omni Shoreham. That's where they had it this year. By the way, those folks who ever attended the uh, the Bluegrass Ball, that's exactly where that was held mm. in 2017, right. January, the same ballroom. <laughs> so the, the event is um, you have the speech in the dark, and then the event is essentially split into two halves, the Republican half and the Democrat half. And in the Republican half, the journalists and a few ringers that they recruit 
perform musical skits <laughs> to lampoon the Republicans. And at the end of that, a Republican luminary gives a speech. In this case, this year was Mike Pence, which we're going to talk about. The Democrat half, same deal. They lampoon the Democrats with like musical skits, which I want to talk about. And then they have a speaker. This year it was New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. And then there is a keynote speaker. Often it is the president who most often is the keynote. Biden did not come. This event happens late at night, so obviously he wasn't there. <laughs> but they sent the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, to to uh, give a speech. He was kind of the keynote, and then at that point it's uh, it's pretty much over. So what kind of hobnobbing? Are there like, any big celebrities that show up to this thing? Or Oh, yes. Famous people that you've seen and heard of. Obviously, D.C. luminaries, though, right. I mean, if you have cabinet well, members and like, journalists, you know, obviously. Like Anthony Fauci was there, invited yeah. by somebody, and, you know, Bill Nye the science guy. I heard that, uh, I was just reading a story here about Fauci, that apparently he came to the rescue of a woman who collapsed yeah. and, you know, like, revived her. I have a whole story about that. <laughs> All right, tell me, tell me about Anthony Fauci. So I'm in the reception, the pre-reception, and... And I'm just standing there chatting up different people. Like, I'll tell you who I, re- I had just run into was Julie Mason, who oh, yeah. is Sirius XM. And she and I don't see each other in person very often, but I'm on her radio show all the time. Well, she, she and I were chatting. And so I was in this little area of this reception. It was very crowded. And it, the, the room is kind of in a well. And so you can look up these stairs and see who's coming. You know, I see Anthony Fauci, who I don't really know. And You don't really know? I mean, have you met him before? <laughs> I, I think we had met once back during the Bush years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm older than... I can give me credit for it. So, so uh, I don't really know him, but I have spoken about him on television, obviously, and written about him. And so, uh, yeah, I'm talking, and, and um, you know, I'm not really paying attention. All of a sudden, before my wandering eye should appear, Anthony Fauci has, has made his way across this crowded room to specifically, in, uh, like, engage me. And says, Stand of the pod. And said, uh, yeah, he was like, I love it when Kevin's quiz is. Uh, <laughs> so Anthony Fauci is approaching you. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I wanted, to, I wanted to come over here and talk to you because I've seen you criticizing me on TV. What? And I was thinking to myself, when, when lately have I had a chance to do this? And I remembered the other night, the night that um, the, the, the whole sort of story from the energy department was breaking mm. oh, yeah. about oh, yeah. the lab leak theory. I went on that night and I said, look, look at all the things they told us. You know, the masks, you know, the natural immunity, the lab leak, the lockdowns, they'd all turned out to be. I did. I don't recall actually specifically criticizing him, but I think he may have taken it that way. <laughs> Imagine that. But anyway, he was kind of getting on me, like up in my face about it. Like, you're criticizing me, and you don't remember this, but, you know, we used to work together in the Bush administration. And he was, he was obviously annoyed by what I have had to say. And he sought you out. Yes. Wow. Well, in the midst of this upbraiding, a woman, who I don't know, runs over to us and says, I'm not making this up, and says, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, a woman is in distress. We need a physician. <laughs> Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> exactly. Just like on the movies. Is there a doctor in the house? So Fauci and I actually kind of look at each other like, you know, is this like for real or what? And so she's like, please come quick. This woman has is in distress. So Fauci Did he, did is, he get one last shot into you before you left? <laughs> Don't move. I'll be back to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> so, so, no, no. He So this he woman grabs Fauci and they run off. 
Well, then I go into the ballroom and I'm talking to some other people that I know. And this guy's like, oh, yeah, I was just, uh, I was telling somebody that I know, like, oh, yeah, Fauci just got all over me. He's like, oh, I just saw him. He was treating a woman in here. <laughs> so that turned out to be true. Well, then I uh, pick up Politico the next day, and it turns out, I guess, a woman had fainted. Well, according to a story in The Independent from the yeah. UK, that Chandler Dean, a speechwriter, gave the account that uh, a woman uh, collapsed, hit her head on a table, and was laying on the floor without moving. And yeah. so they went and got Fauci to help her out. Yeah, well, that so I was literally, the two things he was doing, bef- the, the thing he was doing before treating that woman was yelling at me. <laughs> so he was all warmed up, and then I guess took care of this one. So yes, there are luminaries. I also met uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, who, yeah. Who, so, I've interviewed him before. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I sort of like Bill Nye, the science guy. You know, he's he's a TV guy. Now, does he wear his formal lab coat? Or does he? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all dressed Bring ridiculous. His, his dress pocket. Just uh, saying. We're protector. all dressed ridiculous. And so, you know, I'll just tell you, I was talking to Mike Pence. Okay, you get, kind of buried the lead there. And You're talking to the yeah, former and, vice and president. And he had given right. this speech, and I thought his speech was terrific. So I had gone up to the day. And, there, and so after the Republican portion, they had an intermission. That's how long this lasts. <laughs> Half so time. Hour during, two. during the intermission, I go up to talk to Mike Pence, and I wanted to tell him. I thought he did a great job and just to say hello. So I'm like talking to Mike Pence, and I feel this, this tapping on the shoulder. And it, I turn around. And he felt you back? No. It's Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I saw you on TV the other day talking about uh, the case against Donald Trump in New York. And I was like, and then I realized Bill's he, expertise. Yeah, right, right, right. He had yeah. seen me on television absolutely denigrating and ripping apart this Stormy Daniels case in New yeah. York. And he was like not happy with what I had to say about it. And he was like, You didn't seem to think he should be held accountable for it. And I was like, Well, uh. that's not exactly what I said. I said that I thought this case compared to the other cases was low grade dog food. And the other cases were actually edible for human consumption. I was watching this actual this sequence with you with the other CNN panelists, yeah. and all of them agreed with yeah. you. Yeah. While you were talking to Mike Pence, the guy who was talking about holding Donald Trump accountable. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> exactly. So then I, you know, he and I were chatting, and you know he you know he he obviously wanted to he obviously was an avid viewer, <laughs> and uh, which I appreciate very much. So we had a little back and forth about that, and uh, anyway, it was fine. He, he actually had mentioned that he interestingly now I don't know what this meant. But just for viewers or listeners of the pod, he said, we're from Kentucky, right? I said, yeah. He goes, flyover country. Oh. And I said, "Mm, does Bill Nye, the science guy, listen to this podcast? (laughs) And I said, he goes, I've been there. It's a lovely place. Oh, really? Where have you been? He goes, oh, Louisville. You know, he he actually had some affinity for Kentucky. So, Bill Nye, if you're out there, uh, thank you for your listenership. (laughs) Five five stars. Give us a review. I want to come back around to, to Mike Pence, but actually one of the, uh, journalists, I believe from, I I shouldn't say where she was from because I forget now, but shit, but there was one clip that emerged, I guess, against the rules of Mike Pence speaking at the, uh, And, and let me just say the rules are this. They strictly tell you while you're in there not to record anything. And they also tell you to, and this obviously a room full of journalists, right? Don't, Tweet out anything until after the final. Oh, oh! This is how another another ridiculous thing. You're not allowed to tweet out anything that happened until after the singing of "Auld Lang Syne," which is the last thing you do, <laughs> and you hold hands with everybody around you. Did you hold hands with Anthony Fauci? No, we were not seated near each okay, other. Okay, all right. Uh, but anyway, but 
But from the table, from the table, someone broke the rules and recorded wow. Mike Pence. A quick, and he's talking about how um, people give him trouble for being like overly religious. Yes. Some kind of religious nut. <laughs> you just ask my sons, Jedediah, Obadiah. True, I'm a man of deep faith. In fact, my preferred pronouns are now and done. <laughs> Mike Pence, let a little me, humor. Let me just say, it was about an eight-minute speech. The first uh, half to 60% of it, he was hilarious. Told, was very funny, self-deprecating. Had, now, wait a second. I, I saw a story being emerging during the speech, uh, breaking the embargo, yeah. saying that he was homophobic uh, because he was making fun of Pete Buttigieg taking maternity leave. At an event where everyone makes fun of each other. Uh, right. Yes, it, it, that was a ridiculous criticism. It was, it was like the, the biggest thing going on. It was trending there uh, for a while. Ridiculous. So, so anyway, go ahead. Basically yeah. what you did was you dressed up in a really fancy suit and went and had dinner at like basically Fancy Farm. <laughs> it's a little it's that's, a little yeah. like fancy farm and I'm gonna Indoor call fancy farm. Yeah. I'm gonna call the fancy farm committee and recommend we all get white ties and tails that's for this great. August. It's way too hot. <laughs> nah, you, the shirt is actually breathable. I'm just gonna throw it out there. <laughs> and the vest has no back, so it, you, you know you may not sweat as much. Anyway, I um <laughs> I was putting that vest on. It's like one of those backless jobs. I'm like, what is this? Like, are you expecting me to die tonight? Like I can we not get a full vest here? <laughs> Anyway, at least the jacket had a bag. So, anyway, uh, Pence gives hilarious speech. I mean, really well done, well written, well executed, took shots at a lot of different people. But then he gets into the serious part of the speech, which I actually think was the headline of the gridiron, where mm-hmm. he went further than any of us had ever heard him go on Donald Trump. And January the 6th and how he viewed it. And also he made some interesting remarks about how he viewed the press and the role of the press, which also candidly was a tactical break from what you get out of most Republican office holders these days. I will just tell you, Mike Pence's speech, just sitting in the room, extremely well received. Everyone thought he was funny. His serious remarks about January the 6th were well applauded. After it was over... People were going up to him and congratulating him on on a great speech. So he, he it was really well done by Mike Pence. I, I will just say, on the Democratic side, less memorable. It struck me that one of the problems with the skits was that the 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 press in charge they don't know how to make fun of the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I'll leave you, I'll leave you to decide why that might be. <laughs> but the the skits about the Democrats were more like exultant, like you know, it was like we're trying to be funny, but we're also trying to make you look awesome. With the Republicans, it was savage. <laughs> Phil Murphy, the the governor of New Jersey, uh, he was not as funny as Pence. He had a couple of funny one-liners, but it just wasn't as hot as Pence's. Um, everybody was making George Santos jokes. I will tell you, I had low expectations for Anthony Blinken. He was hilarious. Hmm. Did a great job. And friend of the pod, Jeff Nussbaum... Remember him? He wrote the book about the speeches yeah. that were never given. Yes. By yeah. Yeah. He was there. I think he may have had a hand in some of the yeah. Oh, yeah. speeches. But I ran into our friend, Jeff, and he was reminding me of the pod. He was like, you know, on the pod, I almost predicted that the Democrats were going to go plus one in the Senate, and I held back from doing it because I didn't want to like look ridiculous. Now I wish I had done it. And I said, yeah, 
<laughs> it said you should have let out your your inner pundit there. But anyway, he like so people like that were were roaming around. I think he may have had something to do with some of the speeches. But overall, in terms of just rating the evening, I had a great time. It was a for people watching and sort of obser- observing that culture in Washington. It was great. The Pence stuff, I think, is truly remarkable and truly memorable and will be remembered because of what he said that day. What what will reduce it in the in the lifespan of it is there's no video. Mm-hmm. You know, there's reporting and there's people telling about it, right. but there's no video. And so it won't live on on the Internet. Well, given the fact that you had the major D.C. journalists in the room yeah. and listening to that, do you have any sense of what they perceived and do you have a sense of – the strategy of Pence, in other words, how close do you think he is to announcing for the presidency? I think he's extremely close to making a decision. My understanding is, you know, over the next couple of weeks into the month, I've been told that that's his time frame for decision making. And we'll go from there. And I just, I, I get the feeling, just talking to him a little bit that night, listening to him, talking to some of his people, he's not going to bend. And I don't, you know, I've written about this. I think he's earned the right to run. I don't know what the path is for Mike Pence, truthfully. But I'll tell you, um, there is something to admire about someone who has a conviction about something and won't bend on it. And and whether that whether there's a path for someone like that, I don't know. But he certainly has earned the right to run. It feels like he's running, but I, I don't know. But I, I would say we're going to know pretty soon. It is interesting to hear some of the stuff that he said about the press, and you said the, the role of the press, because I don't know many other Republicans right now who would proudly say something like that. Say, say said, a good word about any journalist. He had a line. It was something like that we were able to stay at our post on January 6th because you were staying at yours. And he was praising them for the reporting that had was being done and, and has been done about January 6th. Now, some of the reporters have pointed out that if you really cared about the transparency of January 6th, you wouldn't be stonewalling. <laughs> Or fighting the subpoena of the special counsel. And so he's gotten into a little okay. tit for tat. We don't have to relitigate the legal reasons he's doing that. But but at any rate, it, it you certainly don't hear very many Republicans out there praising the Fourth Estate mm-hmm. and their role in our national public affairs. In fact, it's just the opposite. And so I thought that was, frankly, pretty noteworthy. But the, but the real standout moment was him just really ripping the bark off of Donald Trump, which, you know, we just haven't heard it. From his mouth that way, I know a little bit in his book, but it was it was pretty startling. Everybody, I'll just say, everybody sitting around me was like, <gasps> you know, I mean, it, I mean, it was a gasp type moment. So Trump was on his way to a campaign event in Iowa on Monday when he was asked about Pence's remarks, and he said he he suggested that Pence was to blame yes. for January six riots. If if he That's had amazing. just if he had just given in to those rioters and the mob, they would not <laughs> the have been who... trying to hang him. <laughs> it's pretty apparent what you should have done. Just do what they say. No, it, it was a, it, it was pretty remarkable when you he was you know Pence was telling about what it was like to be in the Capitol. He by the way he also went after Tucker Carlson and Fox News and said to say this was just a bunch of tourists and sightseers. I think he said it was a disgrace. Yeah, to describe it that way. I mean, it's that's a you know it's pretty strong language. Yeah. And you just anyway. Speaking of Tucker Carlson and presidential candidates or perceived candidates, I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, the questionnaire that Carlson put out about uh, Ukraine and what U.S. policy should be about the war between Ukraine and Russia. And I'll be honest, I was kind of sucked into the uh, the narrative that I guess Tucker set 
of of Ron DeSantis answering that this is kind of a territorial dispute and kind of minimizing. At least that was the perception that I got. But Scott, you, you, your suggestion here is that perhaps that wasn't the whole story. Well, <clears throat> I think first of all, I found it fascinating that Tucker sent written written questions to the candidates. I I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, he's a television host. <laughs> And communicating with these guys in writing. But I, I now understand why he did it. Like the AARP saying, please fill out our question. <laughs> the most well, watched television host, I think, out yeah. there. Well, I, I get it now because he wanted to take what they wrote and then characterize it how he wanted to characterize it. And he, I think, characterized DeSantis's position in a way that caused the rest of the media, particularly the New York Times... To basically say now DeSantis and Trump have the same position on Ukraine, which, if you carefully read what DeSantis said, could not be further from the truth. If yeah. you if you really read what DeSantis said, and I encourage you to go on the Internet and read it, he basically has roughly the same position of the current U.S. government. He said he was not for a further escalation. Well, what is a further escalation? Boots on the ground. Boots yeah. on the ground. He said he was not forgiving offensive weapons so that Ukraine could conduct war outside of its borders. Well, that's that's a pretty mainstream position in the Republican Party right now. He said he does not think the United States should be enforcing regime change in Russia. I think that's a pretty mainstream position. He said he wanted peace. Where everybody's getting hung up is he's is this idea that Ukraine isn't a so-called quote vital interest and he listed things that he thought were a vital interest. But let me read you something that Barack Obama said in 2016. This was in The Atlantic. This is from The Atlantic in 2016. Quote, Obama's theory here is simple. Ukraine is a core Russian interest, but not an American one. So Russia will always be able to maintain escalatory dominance there. Now, when DeSantis was in the House, he voted to arm the Ukrainians. And here... He has said what I think is a basic, uh, and it was very clever how he wrote it, but I think it was a basic recitation of a mainstream Republican yeah. position that says, look, it's fine for us to help the Ukrainians the way we're doing it, but we shouldn't put American troops in harm's way. We shouldn't help them wage war outside of their border. He also said it was a territorial dispute, which, again— That's the headline that I saw right, again, that kind of raised my eyebrows. But think about it. To, to argue that Ukraine and Russia are having a dispute over a territory is an admission that Ukraine in and of itself is a nation. The Russians don't see it that way. So I just think, look, here's what I think is happening to Ron DeSantis. Everything he does is going to be described in one of two ways. Oh, he's like Trump, or he's worse than Trump. Look around. everywhere. Every time I go on TV now, DeSantis is worse than Trump. The New York Times, DeSantis and Trump have the same position. DeSantis's words on the Ukraine were far more thoughtful and strategic than anything Donald Trump's ever said about it. Trump will be a sloganeer on this. I actually mm-hmm. think DeSantis has judgment on this. So anyway, this whole episode reminds me that during this campaign, you cannot take the word of the media explanations of DeSantis because the agenda here is to get is to keep Trump alive. Just remember this. They need Trump. They want Trump. So they're going to try to do whatever it is they have to do to kill DeSantis. 
And if that means rearranging his thoughts on Ukraine, if that means misdescribing or totally making up out of whole cloth untrue things about what he's doing in Florida, whatever, they're going to do it. I'm not sure a true story is ever written about Ron DeSantis. So it's for people like us to pay very close attention to DeSantis and tell the truth about what he's doing because God knows there's a whole industry out there dedicated to lying about this guy 24 hours a day. Does it seem to you right now that given the fact that he is the target, that he is the front runner? Well, I think he's being targeted because, again, we saw this in 16. The media props up Donald Trump because they need him and also because they think he'll be easier for Joe Biden to beat. I think they fear Ron DeSantis steamrolling Joe Biden the way he just steamrolled in Florida. Now, they made a mistake in 16. And maybe everybody would have beaten Hillary. I don't know. Can't go back and build a DeLorean or whatever. But in 24, that's what they think. They think Trump's easier to beat. So they're going to try to lie about DeSantis and kill this off and and literally make stuff up about him or characterize things totally uh, that are untrue to try to make this. They're going to try to make him worse than Trump. And so they're going to try to. They, they want Trump to win the Republican nomination. They just do. Now, just in a quick uh, presidential uh, primary update, and then we'll, we can move on to some other uh, wokeness out there in the world. You mentioned before about Pence's timetable. What is the timetable overall for anyone to get into this race, DeSantis or anybody else? Well, it's a good question. I mean, obviously Haley's in, and this Vivek Ramaswamy is in. And well, I thought they did a capable job on CNN over the weekend. Yeah, and he's getting out there a little bit. I'm still not sure what to make of him yet, but we'll see. Um, uh, you know, for DeSantis, he, his image and his overall numbers are just in a different universe than everybody mm-hmm. else. So he's not under the same amount of pressure. I will say this, though. this is a, I said, like, on election night at the midterm, that if you think Trump is weak today, you cannot hesitate. You should go ahead and go. Uh, and if you hesitate, he has a knack of figuring out a way to recoagulate himself. Yeah. He certainly did quickly after the, the, the threat of impeachment the second time. He kind of recoagulate. He's like Terminator 2. Just when you think you've melted him, <laughs> it's like he reforms and he's got stabby hands, you know, when he is a killing machine. I, I'm a little worried that's happened to him here. Uh, if you look at the polling over the last couple of weeks, and I've talked to some private pollsters as well, it's tr- absolutely true. Trump has had two or three great weeks of polling upticks. DeSantis's image is fine. He's not taking hits. It's just Trump is what I predicted. He's recoagulating. DeSantis is still in a good position to beat him, but it's obvious Trump is still in a really strong, but in a stronger position today than he was, say, in the weeks after the midterm. Well, what what's the difference? Whether he, uh, DeSantis, announces now or then. I mean, he's traveling the country on his book tour. He's making these huge speeches. He's getting great media attention. I mean, he even picked up an endorsement today from Chip Roy, who's a a power broker in the house. The only difference is there's no DeSantis for America website. Yeah, for him, I don't think it's a big difference. But for other candidates, it's like, because he has it, he is his own platform. Yeah. Being the governor of Florida, and he's he's so famous and popular and, and known that everything he does is being covered. Well, that that's not true for Glenn Youngkin. Right. That's not true for Tim Scott. Uh, that's not true for some of the other folks. So absent having a campaign, they're a little hamstrung on the attention yeah. uh, thing. DeSantis really isn't. But, you know, at some juncture, these voters who live in these early states take their responsibility to choose the nominee very seriously. Mm-hmm. 
and and DeSantis's events in Iowa were great, and he were well attended, and apparently he did a great job. But you know, from the stage, he didn't say, "And I'm asking for your vote," right? Which they want you to do, right? Now Trump is, and he's out there doing the retail stuff, and and he's obviously working it now. So that's really the difference. Okay. But I just think you cannot understate, or oh, I'm sorry, overstate enough the difference in DeSantis and his popularity and overall image than everyone else yep. that is in the non-Trump bucket. And so everyone else probably has more strategic pressure than him. Do, do you think if, sorry, do you think if DeSantis comes out and announces he can kind of quell some of the, like makes a huge splash right away, can quell some of the other I maybes mean, that I are think, out there? I think some of these other folks are going to hang around. Yeah. But whether they ultimately get in or stay in very long, I don't, like I'll give you an example. Great guy, two-term governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchison. Yeah. But like what is the appeal of Asa Hutchison over Ron DeSantis. Right. Now, I'm, I'm not arguing that he doesn't have good ideas and that he's not worth listening to. He was a you know great governor and Bush administration. I mean, he's had a great career. But just in this moment, mm-hmm. what does the Republican Party want? I mean, he's like 72. <laughs> they want a new generation. Chris Sununu. <laughs> well, and what he's younger. What you're saying is he's past his prime. And he's younger. And so, but again, you if, you're, if you're looking at governors, I, I just, DeSantis has a lot of strategic advantages. And I know, well, he's not very charismatic and everything's too scripted and this. I mean, honestly, I just feel like people are grasping to try to come up with a reason why this might not be happening. I see the numbers. I see it. I mean, everybody, I mean, Nikki Haley announced her campaign and she's still floating around in the low to mid single digits. Like it obviously didn't give her a massive boost. And I think it's really important to pay attention to which numbers we're talking about because it's not a national primary. Correct. It's not. It's not a national. Prim- we have to go through this primary process where certain states go first. Yes. And if you look at some of these other polls, it's very different in Iowa compared to what it looks in like the nation. Yeah. Or or South Carolina compared to what it looks like a whole widespread national look at the GOP primary voter. And it's not all about polling in these states either. There'll be organizational heft that comes into play, right. and and how can you, can you move bodies into the? There'll be the- persuasion. Absolutely. And there'll be endorsements and people will release platform. I mean, there's a whole campaign to run here. So the media is fixated on these horse race polling. I'm fixated on what does DeSantis structurally look like inside this poll? And in most of them, he has a very high fave, favorable number. He has a very, very low unfave. Like he had virtually no detractors. Hmm. He's dominating among Republicans with college degrees. Trump is dominating among non-college voters. I have a very hard time seeing Trump eating into people with college degrees. I have an easier time seeing DeSantis eating into people without college degrees. So in my opinion, DeSantis has room to grow. I'm not sure Trump does. I don't know where he would get people. I don't know how you would get people with college degrees to come back if they've decided they don't want you anymore. Another example of a contrast between Trump and DeSantis, you mentioned earlier on their comments or their, uh, their approaches to Ukraine, and, yeah. and, and DeSantis being more nuanced, perhaps, than Donald Trump ever could be. Uh, they're, both of their responses, I think, interesting to the Silicon Valley bank collapse, where Trump went on Truth Social on Saturday, all caps, all caps, we will have a Great Depression far bigger and more powerful than that of 1929. A greater depression. <laughs> As proof, the <laughs> banks are the greatest. already starting to collapse. DeSantis, now you might also consider his remarks to be controversial, 
But he says, this bank, they're so concerned with DEI and politics, all that kinds of stuff. I think they're really diverted from them focusing on their core mission. Yeah. A far more – I think it's certainly consistent with the Republican primary base. Yeah. But not all caps alarmist, everyone get your <laughs> well, money out of the bank. in Trump's defense, he knows all about going bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a man who understands what it means to go under. And this bank went under. What I hear Republicans talking about, and, and I think DeSantis hit on it, is this nexus between what this bank was doing and what it was supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, I don't, and we talked about this, we talked about the Andy Barr stuff the other day. Right. And he, by the way, we're going to interview Andy Barr uh, uh, this week. But, like, I don't need my bank to, like, fix all the societal ills in the world. I just need them to protect my investment. Your pension plan should be about making you money for your retirement I and need not them, right. trying to— yeah. When I put my money in and I want to be able to get it out. Any hedge what an fund antiquated view of things. <laughs> That's it. But, but these banks, especially out there, I think, you know, they were under all this pressure to do all this non-banking stuff. By the way, I, I don't think we should play it, but if you have a minute— you should go on the internet. Apparently, the like the leaders of this bank, the directors, the exec. They, apparently, they financed a bunch of movies about uh. themselves, like these little shorts. <laughs> and it is the most patently effing ridiculous things you have ever seen. They're on the internet. But again, and, and if you watch it, you'll see. Man, this probably cost a pretty penny. Do you have it? All right, he found something here. It's crazy. This is a movie, though. I don't know how well it'll translate to podcast world, but, but we'll you can find this, it. This is the SVP leadership. Yes. Okay, what do we got here, Jared? So many useless meetings. They made this movie. Some uh, banks will sell the souls. Some banks just feel real old. I wish they weren't so. I mean, what do they do? Jared, describe what you're seeing. They made this movie with your money. They're like tarred and feathered. Anyway, there's a bunch of these. They made all these movies. They spent millions of dollars on this and other stupid Crap, and I just want the bank to take my deposit and put it in there and take care of it and grow it, and that's it. You think about it overall as far as our institutions and the ones that we're relying on. <laughs> you have a bank more focused on DEI than they are on governance. Well, well not only that. ROI, like, right? The, the, the part of the yeah. story yeah. that <laughs> part of the story that's coming out today is that it's – the favorite bank of Governor Gavin Newsom yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of California. And I'm pretty sure there's some other Democrat governors that I and former elected officials that I've read about here in the last 24 to 48 <laughs> hours that this is their bank of, of record for a lot of a lot of investments. So really what what happened over the weekend was that Joe Biden bailed out. Gavin Newsom, his friends, and his political operation, and so, God knows who else. I guess, I, and I, I, I don't understand it well enough. But good, oh, I thought you were. Oh, I'm, I'm adjusting this for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little. I just want to put this a little higher. A little higher. <laughs> there you go. Is that go. better? Yep. Okay. Scott I Jennings, sound engineer. Sound engineer. <laughs> anyway, but uh, is it a bailout? Yes. Yes. Of course yes. it is. And you know, I mean, we bailed out other things. Sure. Of course it is. I mean. How is it not? <laughs> I mean, this the, they didn't let it fail. So. Right. And they're going to try to say that it's this bank insurance fund that's whatever. All but that's all backed by taxpayer dollars. Yes. I cannot wait to hear from Andy Barr 
on, yes. on this uh, podcast. We're we're in it. So t- we're recording this tonight, Wednesday night, as usual. But we are interviewing Congressman Barr on Thursday morning. I guess I guess what we're going to do is we're going to issue our panel discussion as usual. Yeah. But if you're listening to this after the panel has come out, just know, check your feed, because we're going to issue the Andy Barr interview as its own show. That's great. Yeah, own episode. But the, uh, you know, you think about, like I said before, banks, you think that should be, you know, a little more concerned about the security of your deposits. You think that maybe a pension plan would be more concerned about the security of your retirement than ESG. You think maybe your electric company should be more concerned about reliable energy than yeah. than a, a woke agenda. Yeah. You think maybe, I mean, think about all the institutions your your schools would be more interested in educating your children than advancing a cultural agenda that fits the teacher's personal lifestyle. I mean, you could you could you could walk down this path here. Yes, this is and this is exactly I would think what Ron DeSantis has really kind of defined up to this point. And you're hearing journalists now and media people and Democrats like this is the gotcha question of the day. Well, you define woke. What's your definition of woke? And then they want to catch people uh, who are unable to sort of articulate it. I know. Look around. We're surrounded. Every institution, government, corporations, media, universities, schools, you, you name it. We're surrounded. And the definitions are all around you. You know, this is the famous old, you know, I, I don't know how to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Right. Everywhere you look, you can define woke yeah in our culture right now and and the people who are concerned about it know it when they see it the problem is the people who are demanding these definitions don't recognize it because they love it and they don't want to define it as something negative or as something uh, abnormal they it's like for them they their their brains are already infected like they've already got it so to them the whole world looks they don't see woke they just see a bunch of racists yes and so i the 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 definitions are everywhere everywhere yeah and it's just i mean it is a de it's like a deconstructivist notion to try to destroy every single traditional institution i mean that that's what it is with a touch a hint of the us versus them mentality of marxism uh, like that, everything that you, everything's about being oppressed or yeah. being an uh, uh, an oppressor. If you believe that the United States, its founding, its founding fathers, its founding principles, the pillars on which this country has been built, if you believe that is rotten, then you believe everything that's come since—the way our government has evolved, the way capitalism has evolved, the way American culture has evolved—you believe definitionally that that's rotten and must be destroyed that's woke yeah that's that's the core of all of this is, is that, that we are by nature as a nation evil and or unjust. so so fundamentally flawed yeah. and cannot that, be saved and that all of our constructs about the way we order our society are therefore rotten and must be completely and totally upended by insane notions that minuscule percentages of people actually think is good. But to them, it's like, well, yes, you're not enlightened yet because you don't yet fully understand how rotten this country is. So, of course, you think, you know, this insane thing I want you to do is crazy because you don't get it. Mm-hmm. But that's <laughs> we give the platform to the three percent people who think, you know, the country's rotten and we sort of looking at the rest of it, the vast majority of Americans are like, well, wait a minute. That makes no sense. There's no common sense in that. That goes against everything I learned or everything I was taught. 
We're treating them like the crazy people. I guess I'm going to state an obvious point, but just because I've been craving to say something along these lines for a long time, I don't know if it's been said, and that is, it seems to me that the the narrative for a long time has been, what are you afraid of what I do in my own personal time? What are you afraid of how I choose to live my life? What do you and the, the the meaning those folks from the you know who are defending any number of lifestyles, drag shows, whatever the case might be, fine. But the the whole argument has been this does not interfere with this does not have anything to do with you, your family, your where you live. Let me live my life. But then as soon as you you get to that, to that point, then you realize oh, but I, but why shouldn't it be allowed? in a drag show at the library mm-hmm. or why shouldn't you accept this or that? And why, gets, why shouldn't yeah. we be able to do this in front of little children right, in right. their why, school, why compulsory school? Why shouldn't yeah. we be able to put pornographic material in the right. school library because, that your child can right. get? Why well, shouldn't we be able to do that? And the argument is, Oh, how, how cute or how naive you are to think that your children are, are, aren't, aren't already exposed to this. Maybe my kids aren't. Yeah. Maybe your kids are, but maybe my kids aren't. Maybe I'm going to make an, a conscious effort to try to protect but my see, children and keep them children as long as possible see, rather than, than having them in, infected yeah. by whatever agenda you're trying to advance. But see, that's how rotten it is, Joe, because, because that's, the, that's, what the, that's what the rotten founders of this country, that's what they wanted you to do. But you don't understand how rotten it is. So what, I'm suppressing my children by protecting them? Oh, that's yeah. the view. Well, and so that, that, to me, well, they, they view you bullshit. as an out— They Sorry. view— they, <laughs> yeah. Everything until about ten years ago, Joe, was just awful, <laughs> and now now everything. It's, well, now it's everything, still pretty bad, according yeah, to them too. I well, mean, this is this is one of the interesting things, and we're sort of like mixing both the definition and then kind of the tenets, and then their action plan and all these things. But uh, Wilfred Riley, a, prof- a professor oh, yeah. at Kentucky State University, talks. But at its core, it really is kind of a new religion, and these people are the new evangelicals of this religion, right? And so, uh, the sort of like door knocking that you would have done or passing out flyers that's the mob mentality that these evangelicals of the woke religion have right the, the this sort of postmodern leftist coercive type religion that's built on these things but these tenets of mob well, mentality aggressive tactics action civics right that if enough people yell about something it should be real right? there's a, there's this tenet that they've sort of built into our schools and our institutions and you know, it comes down to this idea that the things America is built on, capitalism, uh, democracy, all these things are rotten to their core, and we must destroy them by any means necessary. Oh, The only the, moral choice and the people is who to like destroy them. them. Yeah. And this is the kind of Marxist I mean, this thing is... Sean was pointing to. There's the oppressors who hold up the capitalist, white supremacist, cisgendered male. I'm just throwing out all their wow. buzzwords. all right. <laughs> but, you know, that system... And then there's us. And this is we're like the good ones. The BLM organization that says we need to get rid of our construct of the family. They don't yes. think that you should be able to raise your children or protect yeah. your children. They think that it, it's up to the community. Because to, what you were yeah. taught as a kid that needs to be destroyed, and you need to be prohibited from passing that on. I see. Well, so to your so children, so it's the deprogramming of my yes. family existence. We yes. could just call it reeducation because I mean, you're this not is like, because yes. you're not you know because you you come from the old rotten system. And the only way to defeat it is to basically separate the rotten system from the children. We'll take it from here, is what they would tell you. 
And this sounds extreme, what we're talking it's about here. It's happening. But it's well, everywhere. Yes. It is pervasive. It's in it's in the stuff your kids see yeah. on television. Well, this and this is it's the tr- everywhere. Yeah. yeah, this is the trick they do. Well, CRT isn't taught in schools. Well, sh- sure, there isn't a CRT class after recess. It's the, <laughs> it's the sort of CRT praxis, right? It's the praxis of queer theory and gender theory and those sorts of ideas. In elementary schools. And in these schools and breaking down ideas that... Oh, we have maybe the we have an education structure. commissioner yeah. in Kentucky that put out a policy document for all K through twelve schools in Kentucky on the use of preferred pronouns and said, mm, "Listen, you may not want to tell the parents what the kids are requesting." And then said, when asked about it, that if teachers didn't like that policy, they could go find another job. I mean, at this, a time when we have massive teacher shortages. Yes, by and, the way, and and also massive education loss where kids can't read. Right, we and do well, arithmetic because it's a white supremacist structure. Nice try, though. <laughs> but 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 Sean, this this example, <laughs> sorry, Plato, Pythagoras, this, this example you're bringing up though, because of, of of how you're, you know, what you just described, Joe. I mean, think about how this works together. You're here saying, I I want to uh, protect my children from certain kinds. I want to raise my children. In I want to raise them. And then yet you here got, comes the government. Here comes the secretary, <laughs> the the head of education in Kentucky, to say. This is my agenda, and if a teacher won't go along with it, I'll get rid of them. And has the audacity to leaving look- only the teachers who will go and, along. And with has it. the audacity to look at the actual policymakers and say, "Well, this isn't. This has never been political. It only became political when you asked me questions about it." <laughs> yeah. And by the way, this is more important to this person than the fact that you've got huge percentages of children who can't read. Or do math at grade level, especially in the county, the largest county school system in this state. It's despicable. This is also what drives me up a wall when they say, oh, Republicans only care about these culture war issues. What is happening in the freaking classroom because kids can't read, because the NAEP scores are the lowest they've ever been, because they can't pass a freaking ACT or SAT score to get into a good school. That's not a cultural issue. That's a real, that's an economic problem. That's an education problem. That's a crime problem. Caring about what kids are being taught in the classroom just because you don't want pornographic material in the history classes doesn't make you some culture warrior. It, it makes you caring about the future of your children. This God, pornography in school, this, 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 when DeSantis I, did this in Florida, and so again, there's never been an honest story written about this guy. He says, we're going to take the pornography out of the classroom, out of the library. Book ban. Book bans. Yeah. Yep. There's no book bans. What happened is then a bunch of politically motivated education types went and collected all of the books. And well, we don't know if these can be. <laughs> and then they take a picture of the shelf. Look at this empty shelf because DeSantis banned. No, no one banned the books. So then DeSantis goes on television. And says, here's, here's what I – I'm going to give you a press conference here and show you the materials that we found in the, book, in the libraries. And the materials were so pornographic that the television stations in Florida had to cut away from the press conference because they literally couldn't show it on TV. Yet, there are people who think that should be accessible by your child, young child. The ACLU testified in Kentucky against this bill that's currently being talked about right now and said, well, I guess it's okay for K-12 students to be looking at graphic depiction of masturbation in school because maybe quote maybe a kid wouldn't feel comfortable talking to their parents about it see this is the whole this is why who, who owns these kids like that's, that's who, my whole point owns 
who, who the is parent re- or the government? Who's responsible? responsible. Who is responsible well, for the it, upbringing of children? What it boils down to is we don't trust you. Yep. We don't trust you to raise your children. We don't trust you as parents. You have already failed. Back to your earlier notion about yes. whatever construction we're talking about. And as a result, it's time for us to take over. And so when folks say all you're doing is fanning the flames of culture wars, we're putting them out. That's, that's the, the, the issue here is saying, no, you've gone too far. What you're saying is we didn't start the fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it, but it, it does. Well, <laughs> it, it, it boils my blood. Yes, sir. Let's go to speaking of schools and a little DEI. Let's go from elementary and middle a school. Of, a lot of DEI. <laughs> let's, let's go to Stanford University. Oh, boy. Where Judge Kyle Duncan was invited by the Federalist Society. Who's, who's Judge Kyle Duncan? Judge, you tell me me who Judge Kyle Duncan is. He is a circuit judge on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, a U.S. judge on one of the most important courts in the land, just below the Supreme Court. The Fifth Circuit covers a number of states, uh, including Texas and that region. A very, like, Senate-confirmed, very high position judge. And you would think that a law school would... The second best law school in the country by Reagan. Would best. Be, I'm putting air quotes in yes, best. Yes. Would be interested in hearing from him. In fact, he was invited. He was invited to speak to the law school students there at Stanford University by the Federalist Society, who apparently were were waiting anxiously to hear what he had to say. But yet when he showed up, he was met with protesters, with signs, and by an administrator who, by the name of uh, Tyrion Steinbach, we'll hear from her now. By the way, I think the beginning of this clip, it's somewhere in there, I didn't know this actually happened anymore. I remember like like my older sister or others, like the, the, the like the the sixties generation, where instead of like clapping or anything, that they're now they're snapping. I've heard that. I, I, yeah. You know, as you all know, I spend some time on yeah. a college campus. I have been in forums where the the yeah, snapping. The I, I've heard that. But before you start the clip, what is yes. this uh, administrator's title again? You gave us her name. Oh, uh, she is the associate dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion at Stanford University. Mm. We have her salary. I think that's a real job title. Pretty high too. I don't have the salary in front of me. What is? <laughs> but you can. It's like one hundred and sixty thousand or something. Like that. All right, there you have it. That's not a lot. But <laughs> I mean, just I mean, it's expensive to live in California. Right. Yeah, I'm just true. saying. Yeah, 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 true. <laughs> like you could like, so, millions of dollars just to buy a like, shotgun house. Now this has been going on for quite a long time. By the time we hear this speak, this. This uh, this this soundbite here, where the students have been shouting down this person, basically saying he shouldn't be allowed to address them because of his harmful rulings from the bench and what he has to say. Right for like thirty minutes, he tried to read his prepared remarks, was shouted down, and he eventually said, "Is there anybody from the administration here who can quell this angry mob?" And here comes Tyrion Steinbach. We believe in free speech. We believe that it is necessary. We believe that the way to address speech that feels abhorrent, that feels harmful, that literally denies the humanity of people, that one way to do that is with more speech and not less, and not to shut you down or censor you or censor the student group that invited you here. That is hard, that is uncomfortable, and that is a policy and a principle that I think is worthy of defending even in this time, even in this time. And again, I still ask, is the juice worth the squeeze? What does that mean? I mean, is it worth the pain that this causes and the division that this causes? Do you have something so incredible important to say about Twitter and guns and COVID that that is worth this impact on the division of these people who have sat next to each other for years, who are going through what is the battle of law school together 
so that they can go out into the world and be advocates. And this is the division that's caused. When I say, is the juice worth the squeeze, that's what I'm asking. Is this worth it? She's saying basically is that you've made them uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. and that you're and that's not worth making them so uncomfortable by speaking about that. Now, before this, because we couldn't play the whole nine minute clip that appeared on on Twitter, she actually said about the free speech rules of Stanford, perhaps those should be reconsidered. Yep. Yeah, know, this is this is an opportunity then for us to look at these things. And to her credit, she was defending it at that time. But up until that point, it was basically saying the protesters. You know their role, and the other clip after this is she basically says, "I hope that you listen." In other words, your opportunity, the reason you're here, is to for under- us to yell at you. It's yep. for us to yell mm-hmm. at you, and for you, and you to go back and change your point of view by the because a mob because a mob is telling you. To. you. I mean, that's, that, right. that's that's the ultimate issue here is that the people who are on the march in this country from the left who are indoctrinating people with this DEI religion believe in mobs. That's it. I yep. mean, they believe that vocal mobs yelling at government officials should get them their way. They be- they're mobs. That There's no other explanation for it. There's no other description. It's mob rule. And if you don't succumb to the mob, we'll force you out. Just like the, just like the guy in Kentucky. If the teachers won't succumb to my pronoun policy, they can find another job. Yeah. It's it's I will have a mob on you and you will succumb or you'll be gone. That's it. It's mob rule. Yeah. Is that what you want? Mobs are bad. We say it all the time on this show. Mobs are bad, but these mobs in particular are anti-American mobs. Yeah. I believe I think Lincoln called it mobocratic rule. Yes. Um which is exactly what this is. And again, let's let, this is not by chance. These students who go to school in California have been taught things like action civics, okay, that this is how you get the way. You don't – it ain't uh, Schoolhouse Rock anymore, yeah. okay? That's not how things happen. Voting it's, is all – that's, that's passe. These students practice protesting. This is what action civics is. I, I'll give a shout-out to the Heritage Foundation has done some great work on exposing this in schools. Um this this is deliberate. This is not like these kids all of a sudden that are in in college now are like – Oh, we're just gonna start yelling down every speaker. It wasn't happening ten years ago. This 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 has been implemented into elementary and high school curriculum to make these kids the the child social justice warriors of the future. And these aren't just college kids here. These are law students at the second best law school in the country. They're gonna be out there in front of judges, in front of in boardrooms and courtrooms. Is this how our legal system is gonna work? That if you just don't like the other side, you just shout until they can't say anymore. In Judge Duncan has done interviews after this. Yeah, I've read a lot about this, and it's really fired me off if you haven't noticed. Um, th- this administrator, when she got up, she had all of her speech printed out in front of her. Right. Th- this was all planned. She knew this was going to happen. And he even said, this is a setup. Yeah. yeah. Y- you walked into this, and you should have known that this is... I mean, he, he'd no, spoken... He said at, it was a setup. In other words, that he, he realized this going but, in. But, what, but, but given what's happened here, what major law school is a safe venue... For someone like Judge Duncan or any other judge that would be viewed by these mobs as being worthy of essentially swarming. I mean, would if you were a conservative judge uh, or a constitutionalist yeah. that had been on the bench and had issued rulings that you know the mobs doesn't like, would you go give a speech? I mean, part of the way we we learn and grow and 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 sort of carry on the American tradition in this country is to talk to each other. But what we're hearing here is you're we're not. You, we don't want you to talk to us. We want you to be swarmed by us. 
And so the, the, this is going to have a chilling effect mm-hmm. on how we pass on ideas and exchange ideas. This is, this is how the American system progresses. They're, but again, we're back to the, the American system is rotten at its core, they say. Therefore, people like Duncan, we can't allow him to pass on or to even be allowed to speak out loud how he sees the world because we have to kill that. We have to, in, we have to annihilate that and get rid of it and make it so uncomfortable for him that he leaves. That's what they'll do to anybody, whether it's a teacher at a public school in Kentucky or whether it's a federal judge here or a politician there or a member of the Supreme Court. Mobs are trying to annihilate people they hate that they believe are upholding the American system from passing on those values. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, given what did Chuck Schumer say again outside the Supreme Court? Reap the Reap, whirlwind. Uh, Reap yeah. the whirlwind. Yes. I mean, and then you have, of course, you know, the people, uh, pro, not just protesting, but threatening Supreme Court justices. And I mean, at this point, this is this is the way. I mean, I guess my question is, I don't let me to be too philosophical or depressed. Is this? I mean, have we lost it? No, we're <laughs> fighting it right now. Why? Are, no, we have it's, not it's, lost. No. We are fighting it right now, and I think a far more Americans see it the way we see it. They're, they, right now, I think there's this huge group of Americans who are trying to figure out how to fight this and win because they know deep down this is awful. But the problem is with that is that if you do fight it, then you're racist, you're xenophobic. You're... Only if you care about the opinions of the people calling you that. And what that, I'm and, saying is that that is the world we're up because for the most part the see, intelligentsia is is this on is, the other side. This I mean, is it's, it's very difficult. This is how DeSantis. I don't know if you guys. Um, there's a uh, a column by a reporter named David Drucker, who writes now for the Dispatch. Anyway, he he wrote a whole column today about how DeSantis is going to bypass that entire group of people, media pundits, whatever, and. And we're going to see if it works. But essentially, the argument is what you just said. There's a whole group of people that say we're this, that. He is literally going to bypass it all and tell his audience, you cannot give these people power by worrying about what they say about us. You have to do what's right. And I think it's going to work. Would you be comfortable attending the Gridiron Club if you say those kind of things? In other words, wouldn't all that, most of that class who's in that room with you last weekend, Scott, kind of look down their noses at those people and say, my gosh, this person's a homophobe, racist. Some of them might be looking up at you a little bit. Not that. That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I... I'm just saying, at some point, know. you have to be comfortable not being invited to cocktail well, parties. Well, I, I think you... And, and, and not being part of those clubs again, and maybe just holding on to your values. And I'm imploring those people to do that, because I, 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 I hope that you're right. I hope that we haven't lost it. But my, my other concern is, is that when you were fighting an entire media institution and an entire edu- educational system, which is all geared toward indoctrinating the next generation to think differently. But that's why it's vital that parents and adults are empowered with information and courage. I mean, that, that's why what DeSantis says is so important. It's why what I think the Republican Party basically stands for right now, the fighting back against this you know, cultural lurch. Is so important. That's why, you know, we can't stop. You can't just because other people have it. You can't just roll over. You just that you have to fight. And the way you fight is by, uh, well, first of all, the way you fight is by defending your own family. You know, you have kids. I have kids. Uh, Kevin, how's your baby? Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Walking yet? <laughs> Not yet. But but you but you have to def- you, you know you can't you have to monitor 
and you have to you have to be diligent and vigilant about what's happening with them. And so the the, the fight is raging. This next presidential campaign, this is this is a line of demarcation. And I, you know, I just I I'm just I am optimistic that there is a whole bunch of Americans out there right now, you know, they're quiet, they're laying back, but they see what's happening and they don't want it and they're going to stop it. Yeah, we can't give up on these institutions. One of I, I probably hold an opinion that's not the most popular and sort of conservative center right movement. Welcome to my club. Um, <laughs> that we need more more kids going to college. That's that's not always the most popular opinion in, in, on the right. And when I see these videos, it discourages me because I see parents who probably see those videos who think, I'm never sending my kid to yeah. college. And that worries me because we cannot just give up on these institutions. We need good center-right conservative folks going and becoming doctors and taking over, uh, not taking over in like a, a coup sense, but leading these universities into the future and instilling these principles that we believe in. If we just seed the college experience to the left, we're if done you, for. If you I mean, seed th- any yeah. institution, any if you seed the government, if you yeah. seed the media, if you seed universities. To either side. Yeah. If you see yeah, religion, oh, yeah. but yeah. but yeah. If, if you see any of these things, then you know what what are we doing here? Yeah. Right. I mean that's that's the whole beauty of of America is that we have the capability of fighting back with our own ideas, and they're trying to they they would love for that to go away. We can't allow it. We just can't allow it. That's Scott Jennings, Kevin Grouch, Sean Southard, Jared Crawford. I'm Joe Arnold. Time for a little scene, Red Herd, before we wrap up the week. Yeah, who's got one? I got one. Ooh, what do you got? Uh, I took the Klan down to Florida this past week. Speaking around DeSantis, we were in Florida. You want to it... rephrase that at all? <laughs> Mike, Kevin's Klan canceled. Cancel Kevin. Took the family down to Florida. This circulation <laughs> button. Took the family down to Florida this week, uh, and went over to the Kennedy Space Center for the first time. Oh, cool! And oh man, it was cool. Uh, I three year old, my oldest loves rocket ships and he he has been talking about it nonstop. and i come away thinking nasa does two things really well one they send stuff to space and that's really cool and two is they make really good videos about them sending stuff to space i mean i was ready to like triple nasa's budget after being there for an afternoon it's really cool oh wait big government grout <laughs> I mean, you don't know what's up there, but they're going to find it. And I'm, you I think love Bill it. Nelson's doing a good job then? I didn't say Bill Nelson. I said NASA and, you know, the hardworking <laughs> scientists and uh, physicists there. Rhino. <laughs> Total rhino. All right. NASA from Kevin Crouch. Sean, what you got for us? I am reading this incredible book that I think everyone needs to read. Um, and it is called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. Uh, it's all about how these phones and all of these apps and social media companies have completely destroyed our ability to focus on things. Even about the invention of infinite scroll on web pages completely changed the way our brains are functioning. And so I highly recommend it. Recommended by uh, uh, Mara Maelstrom of, uh, I know, I think you all work together on the Bush campaign. Yeah. Uh, And so I highly, highly recommend you give it a look. Stolen Focus. I've only seen like one movie the last... Like twenty four months or so, I saw the the new uh, fifty years Top Gun, amazing. Which, by the way, got totally cheated. Right. You know how it, w- it could have won Best Picture if they had let the 
the enemy of a United States win in that movie. Well, like that's how they would. Like they should have let North Korea was but, it so win. That's what they should have done. But over the years, then it's best picture. Over the years, I've always been a big you know film buff and and that sort of thing. And so I do. I I I, I dropped in on the Oscars. Uh, with the intention of turning them off to uh, because the World Baseball Classic was coming on an hour later on on different network, but then I turned and I actually thought the first hour was refreshingly wholesome, and I want to play because I watched him uh, growing up or not growing up but as an adult, but still you remember Short Round from uh, yeah Indiana Jones yes mm-hmm. and it and and of course the characters in the Goonies as well but uh, the booty, Kihuei Kwan claps. what's that the booty twaps exactly the booty yeah. twaps. <laughs> Kiwei Kwan winning the Oscar. So I just I put together a little mashup just just of his um, his acceptance speech here, like about forty seconds of it here, because I thought it was great and I teared up. All right. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp, and somehow I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. They say stories like this only happen in the movies. I cannot believe it's happening to me. This, this is the American dream. (laughs) Dreams are something you have to believe in. I almost gave up on mine. To all of you out there, please keep your dreams alive. Anyway, great. Incredible speech. This is the American dream. This is the American dream. There was no politics there. There was no need for it. It was all personal. It was all about it's all so often the Oscars become overwrought with everything else. And I thought that several of those moments there was a great I don't I don't know the history of the film, whatever else. There was a, a short film that won the Oscar that included a, a, a an adult with Down syndrome that then they brought on the stage with them, held the Oscar, and they said, We only have like forty five seconds. I want to give it all to him because it's his birthday. Can we all sing happy birthday to him? It, it just it was a very mm-hmm. touching moment. And anyway, I, I just appreciated the fact that even though, you know, a lot of the mass media, a lot of our popular culture today, I think goes down the wrong road. But I want to give them a props and 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 for that that show overall. And I, I didn't see the whole thing because baseball was on, but the first part, <laughs> the first part was was exceptional. Joe Arnold, Hollywood liberal, you got it. <laughs> I uh, I haven't watched anything new that's worth mentioning, but I did watch something old. Did Did you guys ever watch? The HBO miniseries about John Adams. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah! I don't know why I was I was on I was on several planes and it, for some reason it like popped up on my thing that I was like oh well, yeah Paul Giamatti I remembered yeah. how much I liked it so I and I and I watched it straight through on these planes and man that was such a good show mm-hmm. they did a great well, you job. like things that are rotten to their core so it makes <laughs> now, you, now you know the actor's connection to baseball right well is he related to a Bartlett Giamatti That's a, it's a son yeah yeah. 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 So. But anyway, he was great, uh, and just everything about that I just thought was so well done. And I in and, and the last episode, it was hard to watch. I had forgotten about when John Adams goes back to Peacefield after he loses the presidency. Um, you know, his family's there. He, you know, he has a son that basically um, dies of, I guess, alcoholism and just was a, was a degenerate. And leaves a wife behind. And then uh, he has a daughter who has breast cancer and undergoes a mastectomy at the house. I mean, think about this. At that time, there's no uh, anesthesia. I mean, just harrowing. 
And she ends up living like another like 18 months after that. Um, and he comes back. And you just think about like the life that he had and the life he had after the presidency and what his family went through. And just, you know, he, he had a lot of the same life stuff that everybody else has. You know, if kids that do good do well, kids that don't. You know, kids that have medical issues, you know, you know, it, it's like, it, it, anyway, it was just kind of a reminder to me that for as magical as the founders were, they were still humans. You know, they were still people with families. They were still people with problems. And I don't know, I just, thinking about that after watching that, I thought they did a great job of portraying that. And one of my favorite scenes is after Adams loses and he leaves the White House on what is essentially public transportation. There's like a carriage that comes up to the White House. And it's not private. There's just all kinds of randos <laughs> in there. And he gets in the carriage, and everyone's looking at him, and he says, oh, stop gawking. It's just plain John Adams. <laughs> but, you know, there's something beautiful about that. The idea that, you know, once you're out of office, and, you know, you're just you're a citizen, just like everybody else. And anyway, I, I, I just was remembering how good it was. I watched it, and it was even better the second time around. Um, yeah, I got something that kind of ties into that, uh, pretty well. Folks may have seen, you guys maybe all have seen Joe. We're not friends on Facebook, so you probably didn't see it. Um, (laughs) my, uh, my in-laws sold their small business that they had run for about 30 years this week. Um, my wife posted about it. They posted on their, you know, official company page. And it kind of made me think of, of two things. One about, you know, small businesses and families and, you know uh, how, how tied they are to the community. The the post that they had has just been going as viral as you can go in a small town of people saying, you know, uh, thank you and and good luck and wish you well and all those things. And uh, obviously, kind of sad for my wife. You know, she grew up there and a lot of memories there, and we have some great memories there. So sad to see it go. Excited uh, for the future thing. But the second thing is, I just wanted to say congrats to my in laws for officially being retired now. Um, they moved down to Hilton Head a couple of years ago, but had been traveling back up. And I've talked about this on the show before. My my father-in-law has got some health issues. And so finally, they are in retirement. So have fun, party, live it up, soak up the sun. Excited for them, but it made me start thinking about, you know, small businesses and those that sort of dot the landscape and help. It's, it's the American dream. American yeah. dream. Build a small business. Yep. Raise a family. It, it, there, it, yeah. it enables you to raise a family. You yeah. sell it. You retire. It's the American dream. Yep. Congratulations. Yes. No, so great story. Congrats to them. Happy on their official retirement uh, of selling their marina. Jared, great way to end the podcast this week. For Kevin, Sean, Scott, and Jared, I'm Joe Arnold. Have a great week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.